praying church right now. We have a bit of a medical issue going in the, on in the uh, foyer right now. Um, just want to probably pray for Jeff Wilson right now. Lord Jesus, Lord, we come before you now in this time. Pray that you would give to paramedics and firefighters who are here uh, the ability to treat him well. Church, pray. Pray for Jeff right now. Lord, we are grateful that you care about us and that you walk with us, that you are a good shepherd <clears throat> through the hardships and the difficulties of life. We pray now in the name of Jesus for complete healing for Jeff. And all of God's children say, Amen. 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 All right. I invite you to uh, open your Bibles today to 1 Corinthians chapter. We're going to read a shorter version than what's listed in your bulletin today. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses uh, 1 through 13 is what we'll be reading today. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses, in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. And they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. And I want you to know today that Christ is your rock. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And on, in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples, and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Here ends the reading of God's word. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you add your blessing to this message today, that our hearts and our minds would be open to hear from you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we are continuing our sermon series. It's entitled, A Messy Church, A Perfect Savior. Church, I want you to know that, that there is no perfect church. There is no perfect church. And we, we are a people who are broken. And as a broken people, uh, we, we enter into this fellowship and we bring our, our brokenness into the fellowship of believers. 
And because we bring our brokenness as sinners into the fellowship of believers, and because we are a people who are also uh, tempted to sin and we give in to temptation, it, it makes the church a messy place. But I am so grateful today that we have a perfect Savior. His name is Jesus, and He is your rock today. So in the, the, in the midst of the messiness of life, in the midst of being a, a messy church, now, now I, don't, I don't want you to get, get, get me wrong here. We, we're not like the, the, a really you know, terribly messy church. I think God's doing a lot of good things within our fellowship. I think that, that we're moving forward in a, in a good direction. But we need to remember who our rock is, and that rock is Jesus. And that we stand upon him in the midst of temptation, in the midst of hardships and testing, in the midst of difficulty. We can stand upon Jesus, who is our rock. So Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the Corinthians, he's speaking of this, this issue of temptation towards idolatry. Temptation towards idolatry. So Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he, he urges us, first of all, to learn from the history of Israel. To learn from history. You see, the, the Israelites were tempted to sin. They were tempted to walk away from God, and they were tempted to worship idols. So Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, look at the history of Israel, learn from history. That's number one. Then number two, flee from idolatry, because we're all tempted to idolatry. And then he wants us to trust in Jesus alone. So number one, learn from history. Temptation is as old as humanity. And the lessons of history help us. History teaches us what we should do, and history teaches us what we should not do. Winston Churchill says, and this is a famous quote, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. So much of what has been recorded in the Bible is there to teach us what we should do, and to warn us against certain things, what we shouldn't do. In our reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul reminds the Corinthians about the mistakes of the Israelites. How many of you remember the story from the Old Testament of the golden calf incident? All right, if, if you've ever read the Old Testament, you're familiar with the golden calf thing. Moses went up on the mountain. He was up on the mountain for a long time. He was there for days and days and days. The Israelites began to grow impatient. They said, where's this fellow Moses? He hasn't come down from the mountain. We don't know what's happened to him. Maybe he's dead up on the mountain. So then the people grew restless. Isn't that true of churches? Sometimes we grow impatient as a church. Maybe, at least for me. Want things to happen a little faster. You know, pastors have this uh, ego thing, oftentimes. And uh, when, when things aren't going too well in the church, we kind of take it personally. So then we try to maybe do things that are against Scripture in order to try to get things moving along. So Aaron, you know, he's, he's a lot like me. He says, well, maybe we should just collect everybody's jewelry 
And then we can cast a golden calf, and then we can make that our God. Oh, praise God. Jeff is being transported out. He looks good. So we can thank the Lord for that. Amen. Um, that makes me feel so much better. I, wasn't, I couldn't see what was going on. That was a distraction for me. Um, so we are grateful to the Lord for that. Amen. Lord, we thank you. Thank you that Jeff is doing well. Uh, Lord, keep your hand uh, of healing on him now. In Jesus' name. So the golden calf, they were tempted to worship something that wasn't of God. And so they put all their jewelry together. They collected all their gold. Uh, they had a golden calf that they fashioned. And they worshipped that. Uh, then in, in Numbers 21, they were grumbling. They were grumbling. They didn't like the provision that God had given to them. Now, is that something the churches might be tempted to do? To grumble? Complain? I don't know. Maybe not Maple Park. But certainly there is a church out there that is tempted to grumble over their circumstances. Now, you, you may not be tempted to worship a golden calf. You may be perfectly content in every circumstance that you're in, in life. So if, if t contentment isn't a struggle for you, if, if uh, worshiping a, a statue, and really that's not a part of our culture now, isn't a temptation for you, there is something in your life. There is something in your life that's a temptation for you. There will always be something in your life that will tell you that what you have been given in Jesus is not enough. That's at the root of temptation, that Jesus isn't enough. That you need something more in your life than Jesus. Pastor John Piper says that sin gets its power by persuading me to believe that I will be more happy if I follow it. He says the power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. I need this thing over here. And if I have this thing over here, then I'll be happier. Isn't that what happened in the Garden of Eden? With uh, the serpent and Adam and Eve? They saw that the fruit was desirable. They thought that it would make their life more fuller if they were to take of the forbidden fruit and eat it. And maybe the thing that you're tempted to do or believe uh, might make you happier for a short time. But here's the thing, church, even though it may make you happier for a short time, it is something that will lead you further and further and further from the life that God has for you. Here's the thing. We ought to learn from the history of Israel to flee from idolatry because I, idolatry may look good. It's, it's flashy on the outside. It's that thing that may not be bad in and of itself. But it's something that leads me further and further from God. And really, anything in your life can become an idol. Anything in your life can become an idol. Anything in your life today can become more important to you than worshiping the Lord. 
So we ought to flee from idolatry. Now, the Lord tempts us, or the Lord doesn't tempt us, but the enemy tempts us. And he tempts us with something flashy. When I go fishing, I want to make my lure appealing to the fish. Right? I want the fish to bite. But my intention is not to help the fish. My intention is to hook the fish, reel the fish in, gut the fish, fry the fish, and devour the fish. And so we are tempted into various things that looks good. We think we're going to be happier if we pursue this thing, but in the end it hooks us, it lures us in. And it devours us. It lures us away from from God. And it lures us away from the life that he wants us to experience today. Now, us Christians, we're really good at at, uh, pointing out other people's sins. But we're not very good at at recognizing our own sins. So so we're we're, we're very good at, at saying, well, at least I'm not like that person, or at least I'm not like this person over here. So we're really good at pointing out the sins of other people, but we're, we're really bad at, at looking in, in ourselves and recognizing our own struggle with sin. We're really bad at that. Say, so at least we're not like the big sinners, those outside the church. Those hanging out on Aurora Avenue. But we have sins in our life too. We're tempted to idolatry. So we learn from the history of Israel. We identify those things in our life that are becoming more important to us than God. Those inordinate affections. Those things that we pursue in life that we think are going to make us happier. But in the end it leads us to destruction. And so we can't look down on other people either. We can't look down on other people when they sin in a way that offends me. Because my sin is just as bad. I'm no better. I'm just as big of a sinner than the person who offends my Christian conscience. F.B. Meyer wrote, I believe, I believe he wrote this. Uh, He said that when we see a brother or sister in sin... There are two things that we do not know. So when we see that person who has offended us by their action, there are two things that we don't know. First, we don't know how hard he or she tried not to sin. And second, we don't know the power of the forces that assailed him or her. We also do not know what we have done in the same circumstances. So we're to flee from idolatry, but we can't become judgmental people in our our pursuit of seeking to honor and to worship God. None of us have the right to stand over another in judgment. But we do have a responsibility to look inside of ourselves. We do have an opportunity to look inside and to see those things inside of us that may tempt us to flee from God. We can learn from looking at the mistakes of those who sinned in the past. We can see that giving in to temptation doesn't lead to life. 
doesn't lead to the life that God intends for us. And then we can learn by the power of the Holy Spirit to flee from idolatry. All an idol is, is a sharp lure that will drag us in. Our idols probably aren't golden statues. Our idols are those things that cause us to turn our affections away from God towards something that only brings destruction and death in the end. Something that promises good, but in the end takes life. So take a moment to identify potential idols in your life. And then we're going to learn three things here that will help us in the midst of temptation and idolatry. Practically, what does it mean to trust in the Lord in the face of temptation? What does it mean? How does this work? How do we find strength in Jesus today? How does Jesus come to us and help us in the midst of temptation? We can look at history and learn from history. We can do whatever we can in our own strength to flee from idolatry. But nothing, we have no power, we have no ability uh, to flee the temptations of idols today without trusting in the Lord. So how do we trust in the Lord? Well, first of all, prayer. Prayer. And prayer is the language of trust. Prayer is the language of trust. A person who trusts in the Lord will pray. That is the evidence of faith. That is the evidence of trust in the Lord. So prayer is the language of trust. You might be asking, how do I pray today in the face of temptation? How do I pray? Simply communicate with Jesus. Tell Jesus about those things that you struggle with in life. Say, Jesus, here I am. I'm a sinner before you. And I need your grace to strengthen me. I need your power within my life so that I can face this temptation today. So prayer is the language of trust. Number two, the Bible is the source of trust. If we trust in the Lord, we're going to be in prayer. If we trust in the Lord, we're going to want to hear what he has to say. And then we also believe that through the scriptures, our faith, our faith is strengthened. For the Bible says that faith comes by hearing. The Bible is a supernatural book. When we open the scriptures and we read the scriptures, Jesus creates faith within us and he strengthens our faith. So prayer is the language of trust. The scriptures are the source of trust and temptation. And then fellowship, the fellowship of believers is the encouragement of trust. The author to the Hebrews wrote, Do not neglect meeting together. Don't neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. There is no way that we can battle temptation in life without the Lord Jesus Christ 
And the way the Lord works in our life is through prayer. Prayer is a powerful thing. The way the Lord works in our life is through the Word of God. The Word of God is a powerful thing through which faith is created and sustained and strengthened. And the fellowship of believers is a powerful thing. We have the ability to encourage and to help one another. So I ask you this question, have you shared your temptations with the church? Have you shared your struggles with the church? Now I'm not saying that we all get up in front of the church with a microphone and begin to do a confessional thing. But have you shared what you're struggling in life with a trusted brother or sister? This is the power of small groups. This is the power of life groups. Is that we have the ability to gather in smaller groups. So that we can share life with one another. When you're struggling with something in your family. When you're struggling with something at work. When there's there's a difficulty in your life. You can say, hey, this is what I'm going through. Would you stand with me in this difficulty? Would you pray for me? There's a powerful thing in the fellowship of believers. And never underestimate the power of the fellowship of the family of Christ. So temptation, we can learn from history. We can do whatever we can to flee idolatry. But, but that recognition of temptation and to see that, it, that, that it's a bad thing from history and, and to flee it is not something that we can do in our own strength. We need to trust Jesus. And the way we begin to trust Jesus is through prayer, through the scriptures, and through the fellowship of believers. Fellowship is also a powerful thing because some people come into church and they think that they're the only person that struggles with a certain temptation. So many Christians live with a deep sense of shame in their life because they think they're the only person. They think they're the only person that struggles or has walked through a difficulty. But when you share in the fellowship of believers, you begin to learn. You begin to learn that that we are in in a big family and we can identify Many of us can identify with the struggle that you're walking through right now. Many of us can identify with the temptation that you're facing right now. And in the fellowship of believers, we can, one of us can stand up and say, you know, I've been through that before. Let me encourage you. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. So we have access to God through prayer, the language of trust. We have access to the scriptures, the source of trust. And we have access to the fellowship of believers, which is the encouragement of trust in temptation. Good news from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. You're not going through something today that that, uh, that's never been experienced before. No temptation, no testing has overtaken you except what is common to man. And then Jesus says, 
that he will provide a way of escape. Oftentimes we're overcome by temptation. Daily. And that temptation is, is like a current that draws us further and further out. Imagine a swimmer, he's swimming out in the ocean. All of a sudden, he's caught in a riptide. And the swimmer is taken further and further and further out into the dark ocean. He has no hope of swimming back to shore. He's beginning to grow tired. He's slipping under. The metaphor of temptation drags us further and further out. Sin drags us further and further out. We begin to slip under. We begin to drown. And then all of a sudden, you have this swimmer who's out in the ocean, and then a boat comes by, and a, there's a person in the boat who reaches out an arm. And who, would, who would say, no, I, I don't want your help today? I can swim back to shore on my, well, you obviously you can't swim back to shore because you're starting to slip under, right? That's like us in temptation. And Jesus comes. He comes to us in the midst of the temptations and the struggles of life. And he reaches out with his gentle yet, yet strong hand. And he grabs you. And he pulls you into safety. That's the promise of the gospel today. And it doesn't matter how far you've drifted out into the ocean. It doesn't matter how, how, how far you've gone into, into the temptations of sin that you may be in today. Jesus is there. And he's ready to pull you out of the water. And here's the thing. In reality, scripturally, if we're going to take this metaphor further, we have already drowned. We've already died. Even while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Jesus reached in the dark, cold water. He pulled us out. And he has breathed new life into us through the gospel. You see, temptation is a powerful force. Temptation is a difficult thing, but thanks be to God that we have a Savior who comes to us in the midst of the temptations and struggles of life, and he pulls us out. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the ways that you work within our lives on a daily basis. Oftentimes, I'm not even aware that you're there. I'm not aware that you're doing an amazing work. So I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would open my eyes and that you would open all of our eyes to see how you're at work every day. And Lord, when we find ourselves daily in that place where we're slipping under once again, we're being drawn away by the temptations and the lures of life, Lord Jesus, that you would cause us by your Holy Spirit to lift our voices to you in prayer, uh, to, to cause us to open up the truths of your scriptures where faith is created and faith is strengthened. And that you would cause us to reach out to one another within the family of believers. In such a separated and isolated culture, thank you that you've given us the church. Speak to us today and transform us today through this message. That we would go today as a people 
who have been deeply affected and transformed by you. So in Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's children say, Amen.